the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. Welcome to the show, another episode of The Boys of Tech, New Zealand's longest running tech podcast. This episode is number, what is it, 359 for Monday the 16th of November 2015. My name is Edwin Herman here in the studio in Wellington and I'm joined over a Skype link with my co-host Brett King. Howdy hi. And how are you this morning? Not too bad. Right, well, it's certainly been a uh, rather eventful weekend, particularly in a bad way in Paris. Mm. And how about you? Did you do anything this weekend in particular? Uh, I played Fallout 4. Fallout 4? Yeah. How long has that been out? Came out last week. It was released on Monday midnight. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, I thought it was uh, fairly new. I played it all weekend and I'll be playing it more after this. <laughs> Isn't that the way when there's a, when we discover a new game? Yep, especially a game as ex- expansive as Fallout 4. Yeah, is that right? Yep. It's a huge world. So many things to do. So many things to get sidetracked by. Is it easy to get lost? In, I guess it is, isn't it? At the beginning, you yep. get lost in it, don't you? Yep, that's the point. It's the point of the games. Especially that type of game. Well, they pull you in. <laughs> well, those give you those, tons of things to do. Okay. Well, uh, I guess you're getting your money's worth. It's a good bang for for your buck. I, I guess. As long time listeners will know, I'm I'm really not a gamer. So, uh, what can I say? I mean, yeah, I just drive my trucks and buses. Indeed. <laughs> anyway, speaking of driving, let's kick off with the one of the Google self-driving vehicles. Now, it was pulled over by a police officer. You might be thinking at this point, oh, what happened? Did the Google car fault in some way? Was it, it, was it guilty of something? Well, it was pulled over for driving too slowly. Now, the reason, of course, is that it's a particular variety of self-driving car which has its top speed limited to 25 miles per hour. So, Why? Well, I guess it's safety, isn't it? I mean, it's a... a well, you know, there are, there are rules about how fast and how slow you can drive on public roads for safety. So driving too slow in a, an area that's supposed to be faster would be, you know, a safety issue. Well... That's actually a, a good point. I, ha- I hadn't really the, thought of it that way. Yeah, it's a safety issue if you drive too slowly. You are supposed to drive at or around or very close to whatever is the posted speed limit, unless there is some fault with your vehicle, in which case you should then be indicating, which is why you put on your warning lights or pulling over or doing something else. But yeah, you should not be driving significantly slower than what the posted speed limit is because you are a traffic hazard. Any of those corners that you go around, you know, blind corner that everybody is expecting to be doing at a certain speed and you're like, what, 
who knows what the the maximum or the posted limit was for that stretch of road. But let's say you were doing 50 in a hundred zone and you've got a hundred kilometer an hour car coming around that corner. You're a safety hazard. <laughs> Driving too slowly on the roads <laughs> is just as dangerous yeah, to see, everybody not, uh, else <laughs> as driving too fast. Well, I'm not sure exactly where this was, what the... I'm not sure. I mean, it, it, the, I'm the, not the even folk- sure from the stories if this was actually the cop pulling the car over because it was going too slowly. It it does seem... It seems very ambiguous. Some parts of it seem as if the cop was pulling them over to find out more about what was going on in yeah, this situation. Not necessarily that the car was driving slowly or whatever. They just wanted to be aware of what was going on with this thing. Because surely you shouldn't be able to mistake the car as something else. Surely a Google self-drive car would have some indicator on it that it was a Google testing self-drive vehicle. Some yeah, sort of brand uh, something on it. You, at least the cop would be able to see. So, so all of the, the the things going. Oh, what would the officer have thought when they pulled him over and they looked in the driver's seat and there was no driver there? I would have gone. Well, surely they would already, if they're the traffic police of the area and Google has been testing these vehicles there for some time. Surely the cops are aware of the type of vehicle that Google is testing in, so that they can be aware, you know, on the lookout for them. And so he would not be in any way shocked that there was no driver there. So I yeah, think a lot I of this is this the media doing the, the whole media thing of trying to blow things way out of proportion. It may and well also be that. Yeah, yeah. It's just, who knows whether or not it's actually being pulled over because they're going too slowly. They're going too slowly is a danger. Or if it was being pulled over because the cop wanted some more information about, the, you know, maybe the path the car was going to go or something like that so that he could be aware of it. Or maybe he was pulling them over because they were going too slowly. Well, the, the, there's a photo posted to Facebook and it, it looks like it's in a car park at this point. Mm, whether it does. This, whether this is where it was, you know, uh, initially flagged to be pulled over. What I want to know, though, is how does a Google car <laughs> well, know to stop? Why would he be driving 25 miles per hour in a well, that's fast. That's 40 <laughs> k's. That's 40, 40 kilometers an hour. I know, 40k in a car park. I think that would be he being caught for speeding in the yeah, car Yeah, exactly. But what <laughs> I want to know is how does a Google car know when it's being pulled over? It could very well be that the passenger, who also has the ability to control the vehicle, made the car pull over, initiated some pullover procedure, or maybe they've programmed it so that if it hears the siren and sees the flashing lights of a police officer, the car does what every you know vehicle is supposed to do, and that is... You let know, them pass or yeah, pull over. Pull yeah. over, let them pass. Or if they're being incredibly safe, as you would hope that prototype testing vehicles would be, in those situations, it would come to an emergency stop, pull over to the side and actually stop automatically because you know it it doesn't know what to do in a situation so it'd be best for it to just over and stop until the police siren and vehicle has gone past and then it can go on its way again yeah i'm just not sure what the logic is built in whether it 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 has that level of uh, smarts in it but I, i would love to know i yeah i i think it was probably the the person doing something to make it possible over you know so that they because you know obviously the cop wanted to pull it over and there's no way there is no way that the vehicle would be able to make that decision of it is the thing that oh this cop is trying to pull me over 
Because you look at the number of real people who have a police car following them for some time before they go, oh, oh, wait, actually, no, it's me he wants to pull over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's so, true. yeah, this this vehicle either is is being pro- pre-programmed to automatically pull over and stop if a police car, you know, a police vehicle sirens and lights comes up behind it, or the passenger initiated some mis- procedure which made the car pull over. Well, for me, it's usually the other way around. I'll see some flashing lights behind me. Oh, okay. Uh, what's going on? Let me just flick into the left lane. I'll move over. The cop car moves over as well. And I'm thinking, okay, all right, so he's pulling me over. So I pull over to to you know get ready to stop and meow, right past me. And I'm like, ah, oh, it was just happened to be doing the same maneuvers as I was. Indeed. <laughs> so I but it was you played it safe over. and that's what you should do. Yeah, exactly. That's what you're meant to do, yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> You're meant to pull over and make way for emergency services vehicles. And if it stops behind you, then you know it's you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right, then let's move on. I spotted an interesting story, which I thought uh, is, is, is one of these stories that makes me go, you mean we didn't have this before? Which I kind of knew, but it's it's really i think a, a time to check in with with where we are at the, with this technology and this is a a near real time tracking system for aircraft which we don't mm. have today right now we don't have they they rely no, on no. ground based exactly everything is based on ground based radars and in certain parts of the world yeah we've got tons of ground based radars to to be able to track what's happening up in the air but there are vast vast stretches of open ocean vast stretches of um, uninhabited um, land where there is no radar and so if an aircraft goes into those areas we just we never know what happens to it unless we you know until it comes to the other end of its flight path and reappears on somebody's radar yeah i i was surprised at this too that um since They've had a system for allowing aircraft to communicate via satellites to, you know, various home bases, etc. For, for ages. I was entirely surprised that there wasn't an international, um, internationally monitored sort of GPS system for tracking aircraft. Mm. And... That's basically what they've proposed, a, a GPS system for tracking the aircraft. Every 15 minutes, the aircraft will ping the satellite and via the satellite, this new system and let it know where that aircraft currently is. I think it's a, a brilliant system and is really heightened the, the need for this from the, you know, the uh, Malaysia Airlines, unfortunate disappearance. Mm, MH370. <laughs> Indeed, which we're, you know, they're still debating whether bits and pieces that are coming up on various islands are or are not parts of the specific plane or not. And, you know, Hmm. know, every week you might see a a news article that says, oh, we found some objects on the seafloor that may or may not be the aircraft, the, the rest of the aircraft. And this sort of system would give us a much better ability to, you know, target where where it's disappeared, where was the last 15 minutes, because there's only so far a plane can get in 15 minutes if it no longer pings again. I mean, 15 minutes Unless somebody is... 15 minutes is... It. Yeah, sure. Relatively, 
speaking, you're right, there's only so far a plane can go, but even so, you think about, you know, near at 1,000 k's an hour for the larger planes, 15 minutes, you know, that's 250 kilometres. It's... Yeah. Uh, but with you know, how... Yeah, with how rapid our responses are to these sorts of things, how fast we get aircraft, you know, things in the air to look in these when we know something's gone missing. If this, this basically gives us a much, much smaller area to look at. Oh, relatively, Because we don't have to wait yeah. hours to mm. go, okay, yeah, the plane's gone. We can yes, go, true. okay, that plane has not contacted for 15 minutes. Has something gone wrong? Yeah. Yeah, and no, you're right. It gives us know, a head start. Half an hour it gives passes, us- and you know, okay, something is definitely wrong. Put our plans into action. What do we do here? Where is it gone? Get, you know, send a plane to that area. Send, search something, you know, alert the emergency services in the particular area where it was last located, uh, where it last pinged. So yep. no, it, gives it us a big allows us to narrow it down. Yeah. And just think of how much money has been spent around the world looking for the, this missing plane. And how much less would need to be spent looking for that missing plane if we had its location to within the last 15 minutes of its broadcast? Mm. I mean, we, you know, how much money do you put on human life? You'd, we'd still do it anyway, but you, the point oh, yeah, you're making... Still, well, obviously the, the, the we'd point still do it anyway. Look how much money yeah, we have spent and exactly. are still spending yep. looking yep. for this airplane. What I'm saying is this means that we won't have to spend yep. all of that money. Yep. It's not that we wouldn't spend that money. It's what's, you know, it's saying that it means we don't have to spend all that money. But you never know, we might still need to spend all of that money because it might have been intentionally, you know, the system might be intentionally disabled. <laughs> You've always got to consider that. Yeah, in well, this day yeah, well, exactly. Well. Yeah, that's um, true. Unless yeah. they make, you know, unless they modify the plane so that it's a, an, an automated system that has no, in, you know, no switch or anything to turn it on and off. With no, basically no kill switch. Hmm. Yeah, no kill switch. Yeah. Well, this new standard has, uh, has been agreed by the UN's International Telecommunication Union, the ITU. More than 160 countries have been uh, a part of that. And I think yep. it's going to be mandatory, isn't it, in November yep, next year? In November next year. But think how fast this group has come together. All of these countries have sat down, worked out a system that's going to work, worked out a system that's going to work within the technology that already exists in the aircraft. So it's, it's no having to add new technology to aircraft. It's not having to bring in aircraft and spend months retrofitting or refitting new devices to them for this system. They have sat down, they've worked out how to use the technology that is already in the plane, a system that is already used by the the aircraft to do this new thing, and they've done it so quickly. Well, hasn't this, this been of, in the planning you know, for a while? This sort of stuff though, had to be Brent, debated, debated by governments. This yeah, thing would be... Yeah, but hasn't this been in the planning for a while? I, I don't think this has been... This is not... I don't think an idea that was born after MH370. I think it's something that's been worked on for, for a while. From from what I understand, I would say it's probably been fast tracked because of MH370. Yeah, I mean that that could certainly that would be, have given it a kick in the butt. Oh, I, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You know, this is the first time I've heard of them actually having sat down and agreed to something and signed off on a system that they're going to use and have put in an implementation 
time. Yeah, and I, I, that all of these all of these countries and these airlines have you know agreed mm. to this new mandatory system. Mm. Well, you know there are some surprising things where we, I, I guess, assume, and I think a lot of people, I mean, like perhaps like yourself, Brett, assume that because technology is capable of this, that we have it, but we don't yet. And there are a number of aspects of this country, of the world, where, where I we make assumptions. We, we think, oh, it, it must work like this, surely. And it doesn't, you know. It's, yeah, yeah, it's something a lot more backwards. They haven't about it. They haven't put it in. Something else is dragging their line. Somebody doesn't want to pay the, the cost to implement or other random stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, this, this happens all the time. Yeah, you see it all around the world, especially if you're a traveler. You'll go to other countries that you might think, you know, you go to a country and you think, wow, this is this is one of those A-list, top-of-the-line countries. You you know, you hear about this country being massive in industry, massive in all this sort of stuff, and you think it's, you, you know, you expect a certain level of, of other aspect to it that is going to be better than what you're used to or what you, you know, what you think. And then you get there and you realize, wait, no. No, this place is, you know, you hear all these wonderful stories about this place being this thing, but in this other aspect, they are way below what you expected. Mm. Another example that comes to mind is the New Zealand police. The dispatchers have no idea where their vehicles are other than when they last checked in with them over radio. We don't have. They're, in the, they're only in the process Even now. Even the, ex- the taxi companies will know where their taxis are. Yeah, exactly. You know, the, the, the big taxi companies. Exactly. And the police are only in the process now of going through the, the you know, the motions of putting in a, a tracking system, I, I believe. I guess once again, it's one of those, it is one of those things of if it's, if it doesn't seem to be necessary, then there's no incentive to rush it. Well, I think this one is Especially slightly if it's different. Be the, an outlay in cash. Yeah, yeah. Well, this this one's slightly different in that it apparently, from what I've been told, it comes down to money. Whereas you know, there's a lot of I don't know if most is the correct word to use, but certainly a lot, if not most, of the countries and other countries in the world do have such things and have it have had it for some time. And I yeah, am, but, from what I understand, it's, look it's, at a, the, <laughs> it's a Look at how much some police forces in other countries require the ability to keep track of their officers and their vehicles compared to the kinds of incidents that they would, you know, the incidents they respond to compared to the types of incidents that would be responded to in New Zealand. Yeah, but there's a lot it's, of time wasted for a lot dispatchers. Of it is we, just they still a different. There is a different culture, yeah. and well, it's even uh, a different culture in the criminal culture. Yeah, but I, just, I still think there's. <laughs> There's a valid case for it here as well. I mean, you know, the dispatchers have to every so often, 10, 15 minutes, check in with each unit that they're, you know, in charge of, you know, half a, half a dozen at a time to find out where they are and then, you know, click a button on the map. And, and yep. that's where, and that doesn't move, of course. Even with the different nature of the policing work, I, I still think it's a valid use case here, which I, oh, I yeah. guess. It's, it's a valid use it, case. Is why once again, it. it is that cost benefit. 
that they need to they, sure. they run. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. why the sort of stuff takes so long. But it's nice to see in those in these situations here where these countries and these places could have sat back and go, oh, well, this is the first time it's happened in donkey's years. We really don't need to rush all of this, you know, put all of this money and investment into this thing. We can we can just, you know, keep plotting along and we'll put it in in, in our next next iteration. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, other more pressing have, things. You know, it's it, it's come to the forefront and it's yeah, it's it's they've they've gone, no, no, we're it's going to be put in. It can be done easily, and it's using system that already exists. Yeah. So, yeah, why why not implement it if you can use a system that is already part of your aircraft to do this? Why not put it in? It's going and to that's, save and that's you where this, a lot of money. And that's where this aircraft solution is so elegant. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Brett, last story. Then Hyundai uh, unveils a new way of delivering owner's manuals and this time it's with <laughs> yeah when was that <laughs> did you actually read the owner's manual for your vehicle ed <laughs> it's in japanese <laughs> uh, yeah. so i can't i don't think many people these days actually read the owner's manual of their vehicle i suspect though to be I fair think, I, I think i think if you buy a new car i think a lot of people would take the time to go through it Really? Yeah, I think so. I think a I'm lot of guessing, people who buy a new car, a, a, a proper new car, not just buying out new to them, and an actual new car will open up the bonnet, take one look at it and go, I like, think yeah. I should pay a mechanic to look at it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, when I bought because yeah, exactly. you, yeah. you open those things up and there are, are panels covering different things. And it's like, oh, yeah. you know, in the olden days, you'd pop your bonnet and you'd go, okay, there's the radiator. I need to fill it up. It's got a little steamy or I should check my oil. Uh, these days you open it up and there are so many plastic panels and things covering everything that you go, okay, uh, somewhere between all of those hoses and pipes there is the dipstick for the oil. Yeah. But if I reach in there and I pull that dipstick out, I'm probably going to get oil over all of this really nice paneling here. And and I also need to remove some of these panels so I can squeeze my hand into that space. Yeah, you know, you're <laughs> not far wrong. Look, I've got, I've got two cars. I've got a 94 model. It's quite old now. And oh, I've got indeed. a 2000. And I've doesn't got a t- even have an, an electronic control system in it. No, it doesn't. It's, yeah, uh, you're, you're right. It doesn't. And although it was one of that the means last it's a car that two. you can actually service yourself at. Well, this is the thing. This is what I was going to say. And I've got a 2006 model. Now, I was, I, the 2006 model I haven't, I've only had for a few years, but the 2000, and, uh, the 94 model I've had for a while. And, you know, as you say, you can, you can look under the bonnet and I'm not a mechanic but I can work out what most boots do or Indeed, what the part of it it's simple there's nothing covering something up there's That's no right. random pipes and things connected to injection systems there's no electronic circuitry there's no you know control modules which are regulating these different things and sensor things for this and wires and things everywhere it's I, I, an engine from those you know that era and before vehicles is is nice and simple you can look in mm. it you can see where the spark yeah. plugs go you can change yeah, those right. you, so you can right. easily see your dipstick you can reach in you can grab that and and everything's cool but, yeah, but it's, qu- it's quite it's a different like- story. <laughs> with, with it's quite a different story with my 2006 vehicle, where when I, I remember when I not long after I got it, I thought, okay, it's time to do an oil change. So I'm gonna uh, I get I looked up what oil it, it 
is recomm- you know the, the grade of oil that's recommended for it. I went and bought that and the correct oil filter. And then I set to work what I normally do with, with my vehicle, and that is to basically open up the hood and also look under the car and figure out, okay, how am I going to get that oil out of the car? Where, where do I put the new oil in? I could not figure it out because it's so full of stuff. There is stuff yep. everywhere, and I can't work out yep. what's what. And it's got, as you said, it's got all these plastic covers over things, and you can't even get access to the oil sump because you have to remove panels to get there, and uh, you need to hoist <laughs> your car up. There's, you cannot yep. do it at home, even if you knew what Indeed. you're doing. They, they've made it so that it's impossible to do self-service. Yeah. So now I take it to get serviced, which is the first time I've, I've ever had to do that because I've just done st- – I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not a mechanic. So when something goes wrong with my engine, even my older vehicle, yeah, I, I, obviously I take that into a mechanic. But for, Indeed, but main- for something regular simple like changing the water, changing the oil, yep. that's, that's, you know – Even flushing the radiator. Even yeah. flushing the radiator, I've done that on my older car. Uh, the new one, I don't. Uh, to be honest, I, I'm I'm too scared to now because I, I if I can't even figure out how to change the oil in it, I've got no hope in fig- figuring out how to flush the radiator. It's probably Indeed. not even in the front. No, I was joking. Well, of course, maybe but. <laughs> if you had one of these new, um, you know, uh, augmented reality virtual guides <laughs> for your ah, particular yes. vehicle, then you might be able to work out where it is that your <laughs> Your dipstick is. Nice Where segue. Is nice segue. Thank you. Yes, back but to the then, story at hand. Even so, with this, it's going to be, it, you know, if you get this particular vehicle, the Hyundai Sonata 2015 that comes with this particular um, app that you can download with the augmented reality, you're going to be able to see what everything is in your car. Excellent. But it's probably still not going to help with the fact that you're going to need to hoist the damn thing up, remove 50 bolts to remove the different panels to get at things. <laughs> yeah, that, that's also true. But also this app, so so we're talking about, we haven't really introduced this story very well actually because we went off on a tangent, <laughs> but for the benefit of, the, of listeners out there who, who are still trying to figure this out, Hyundai have basically produced an app, as, as Brett has alluded to, which you know you, runs on a, a tablet, on a, probably a phone as well, but certainly a tablet is the more useful form factor. And you basically point your tablet tablet at the engine and the software uses the camera to display your vehicle with a augmented reality overlay. Now what I was going to say though about this is it's not just the engine, it's also the interior function so you're right, maybe even though you know where things are in the engine because the app is telling you uh, it's also for some of the controls in, in, inside, you know, what well, does this button because do? It's and not just a, where a are the yeah, how to change your oil thing this is, a, this is the owner's manual so this does tell you, you know, this is the indicator, this is the... Um, accelerator this is the gear stick this is how yep. you set your radio favorites this is how you pair your you know, your um the the internal system with your phone uh this is how you change your radio station this we, is how this, you set it to sportomatic yeah and the reason i suggested we talk about the story is because this is a really really smart way of using technology it's not just oh let's deliver our owner's manual as a pdf because then people can look at it on their phones and tablets sure they could but augmented reality is a very very smart this is perfect a perfect use case for it yep Mm. yep but then it's not one of the apps that you're going to want to keep on your phone or device all the time it's not an install forever sort of app. This is kind of a, this is an app that you install when you need it. 
So when you first get your car, you install the app, you go through its, um, you know, through its learning uh, tutorials, et cetera, for learning how you do your different things. And, and then you probably delete it uh, until you yeah, need it, to change it, your oil and then you might install it again. Yeah, don't I don't like think it's something yeah. that you would keep on. Mm. It's not like, you know, uh, Candy Crush or a Flappy Bird uh, <laughs> that stay on your device forever. Uh, it's no, they don't. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's one don't of tell the me they do. Install <laughs> and then you delete once you no longer need it. Yeah. But, you know, I really like the way they've thought about this and delivered it. Uh, yeah, they makes, made it interactive. So yeah, yeah. they haven't just gone, well, we'll deliver it digitally. What's digitally? We will put the manual as a PDF. They've taken it one step further and gone, yeah. okay, no, we're going to take our 300-page owner manual or whatever it is, and we're going to turn it into an app. And instead of having descriptions, which may or may not be easy or not to understand or follow, we'll have a tutorial video that shows you how to Mm. set it up. We'll have a little uh, wizard for you to go through, uh, a little tutorial step-by-step where you answer questions or something like that. Make it interactive. And that is a a better way to make people, Mm. you know, learn and remember it. Yeah. And before we finish this episode, I just realized perhaps I said something earlier or uh, mentioned something that might confuse some of our uh, listeners that live in countries that drive on the right-hand side. And that is because I said my owner's manual is in Japanese. Now, you might be wondering, why is it in Japanese? Well, here in New Zealand, and I think this is the case for a lot of uh, left-hand drive countries, we get Japanese imports. That is, cars that were made for the Japanese market, used in Japan, and then imported here as a, a used vehicle. And, of course, they come with the Japanese manual. Now, in, say, the United States, for example, you don't have that because there are no such vehicles that are made for – well, there are, the vehicles that are made in Japan are, you know, set to drive on oh, the left-hand yeah, side of the road. The, yeah, the ones yeah. made for the American market are made for the American market for that, right-hand that's drive. That's right, and made new for them. Yeah, exactly. Indeed. And so mm. they, they have – yeah, mm. manuals written in English. So in case you're wondering, market that, yeah. So in case you're wondering why I mentioned I have a Japanese manual, if you're outside of New Zealand, well, that explains it. That's exactly why. Because <laughs> we have Japanese. It also imports. means we end up with uh, FM, you know, radios in our cars, oh, which can't yeah. go to the appropriate stations in New Zealand because they go from we 70, use a different range. They go from <laughs> seventy-six to ninety, and it's really annoying because. The hits is on 90.1, and it's just that yep. point 0.1 that I cannot get. Point 0.1 that you cannot get without <laughs> getting a new stereo radio. Well, or a band expander, which <laughs> is never as good, but it's no. a lot cheaper than a new stereo. <laughs> yeah. Or you just, you know, plug your MP3 player into the AUX output. Yeah, I, I've done that as well. Oh, well, with an FM transmitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, right, Brett, we'll end it there. Hey, want to thank you very much for co-hosting episode 359. Always a pleasure, Ed. It's been a blast, and uh, we'll do it again another time, I'm sure, won't we? Indeed. Uh, and this, of course, ends the episode on New Zealand's longest-running tech podcast. want to thank you very much for tuning in. Tuning in? It's like a radio thing, isn't it? Tuning in. Yeah. You're, you're, it's, um, it's because we're talking about <laughs> radio. 
No, no, no. I think it's more your your experience of of doing all of those radio shows, running your radio station. <laughs> well, actually, that's it's coming that through. It's, it's second nature. It's like, oh, I'm talking to this. It's like, oh, tune in next time. Same bat time, same bat channel. Yeah, it's uh, 24 past nine. Uh, high of 11 degrees today. Overnight low of six. No, just joking, of course. Look, let's let's get out of here, Brett. Uh, thank you once again. Thanks to our listeners, and we'll see you again next time. Till then, have yourselves a fantastic week. Goodbye. Bye bye.